Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. This is Dimity in Denver, fresh off the East Coast tour, right? Yes, it was fantastic. Uh, so great to see. We, I, I think we partied with about 500 mother runners. It was a really fantastic time. And um, I am headed to um, Austin, Texas for a party on uh, Thursday evening with two contributors to our new book, uh, Kristen Armstrong and Susan Shorn. So, exactly. Yeah. So it'll be a great party. I will not be there. I'll be um, fiesting with my family in Mexico. Yes. Um, and I'm a little bummed because I love Austin. I love that Zima race. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, gotta, gotta take a yeah. vacation yeah. when I can get it. <laughs> right, right, right. So, and after our trip, uh, we ended up in West Hartford, Connecticut, and then I, um, headed on down to see my parents. And so, um, I, I have really been touched by emails and um, comments on social media and in person when we were out East by people talking about their experiences with their elderly parents and, and um, how they were dealing with, um, you know, the changes that in their parents' lives. And so I just thought I'd give a little update on that. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't really talked to you, so I know that you found a place that might be suitable, but give us some details. Tell us how the the visit went. Yeah. So I am the youngest of three kids. My older sister lives about 30 minutes away from our parents and our brother who's between us in age, he lives down in Atlanta. So when I told him I'd be out there visiting for three days, he very generously flew up to um, kind of have a concerted effort to um, reinforce the feeling that that our parents have to move out of their um, beautiful yet very, very treacherous antique home in Stamford, Connecticut. And so uh, my mother had done some research and pretty much all along, it turns out she'd always had her eye on this place called Edge Hill. It's a senior living and um, community in Stanford. And it has um, different levels of um, living situations in it. So it has independent living, which are just like apartments, and then it has assisted. And then I believe they called the, the final level skilled living, which um, means you have very skilled help. And um, I mean, that those really people are when we went up there really seemed to me to be end of life situations. And so, uh, on Saturday, my brother, mother and I went over there and I tell you, Dim, it was just 10 times better than I ever hoped it could be. Oh, good. Yeah. And the main thing is, so my, um, my dad is an only child and he is absolutely devoted to my mother. His world truly literally revolves around my mother And, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see and to have grown up with that situation, but it also means that um, he does not want to be in a situation where he has to be away from her. And so right now he is in a nursing home facility. Um, He has Parkinson's disease and um, that that was diagnosed a few years ago. And so he's very unstable on his feet. And so they are doing some intensive rehab with him. And so it is, you know, like, oh, my parents' house, you like to, you know, you've been there to get to the, from their front door to the driveway is treacherous, let alone to then drive the 30 minutes to this nursing home and then, you know, hope that there's handicapped parking. So my mother who had hip replacement surgery can, you know, get out her walker and then walk in to see my dad. And so she does that. It's like the equivalent of the American, like Ninja Warrior, because you know, given where they are in their lives, like they're like climbing rock walls, you know, to see each other. Oh, it is, it is, and you know, I mean, so my mother, you know, is so stoic, and she does it every day without any complaint because you know she loves my father, and but yet it is so it is taking such a toll on her, and and I tell you the thing, my my dad's truly greatest fear in life is that my mother will predecease him. And my mother is in excellent health for an eight, almost 89-year-old woman. And th- the only way she's going to predecease him, I think, is if she has a fall in their treacherous home or she gets in a car accident on the way there. And I, yeah. finally, it's just like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not the phone call that I'm going to get, that they stay in their house. And then my mom still has to, you know, go out and do the grocery shopping, take my dad to doctor's appointments. It's like, get into a senior living facility that's going to have smooth floors that if dad has to go back into rehab, it is an elevator ride away. And the amazing thing about this Edge Hill place is that even if my dad is at a totally different level of care than my mother is, he can still be in the apartment with her and they can bring the care into the home. Oh, that's great. And that was just, I'm like, you know, let the angels start singing. I mean, that is music to my father's ears. Sure. And so, um, it just, um, 
you know, so, you know, we're, you know, my mom's starting to fill out the paperwork so she can get on the waiting list to get a place in Edge Hill. And, you know, um, Jack, my husband, who's a real estate agent, is going to um, give some referrals for real estate agents in the Fairfield County area who work with historic homes, because it is not like a, oh, sure, it goes on the market today and it sells tomorrow. Like, it's not that type of house. I mean, it's full of charm, but it's also not you know, truly decked out and the kitchen is very small and everything. So it's, you know, um, not everyone's dream home. So anyway, so, um, do we, do we know how long the waiting list is? I hope not too long. They, they, you know, it's one of those things they can't give sort of an answer about. And so when my mother was looking at all the fo- floor plans, we decided, you know, one bedroom was sufficient, but there's these different floor plans. Like, do you get a den or do you not get a den? And finally I'm like, mom, put down two choices because then like first available yeah you know? <laughs> pretty much you know because then it's like you know oh like one of them she didn't want because the the bedroom had like a wall on an angle she's like oh i can't stand rooms that have walls on an angle i'm like okay i've never really formed an opinion about walls on oh, angle. I'm sure, oh sarah she you are her child you have a lot of opinions about certain things that you wouldn't expect out of people. Um, so um so anyway so you know they all all these you know um like different apartments have different names so like i'm like mom put down you know that you will live in a willow or a chestnut or a willow or birch or whatever it is because then you know hopefully it ups your chances of one of them opening up yeah and um oh i mean like the place it was just you know i i think i know that i when i thought of a senior living facility i just thought oh there's gonna be these common rooms that are just filled with you know these people just drooling on their chests and you know or wanting to come up and talk to you when all you want is your privacy my mother is a like loves her privacy and um so it was just it didn't it felt like no one was there practically like there was so much so much so many common rooms that no one was in they were so lovely you know there's a fire going in, in the fireplace of one of them and then there's you know a library next door and you know oh sometimes you know grandkids come in and they start playing the piano that's there and then you know there's no one in this lovely pool that they have that's totally heated and then there's a hot tub that no one's in I'm like okay like I want to come hang out here because no one's here and, yeah. and um yeah so um it's it just seemed really really appealing my brother kept on saying oh it was so much more comfortable than I thought it was going to be and my brother and I were a good tag team because he is is the most generous spirited kind-hearted person who does a real soft sell on things and you know and I'm the one who is kind of like pushing and being like okay how are we gonna put the house you know like you know let's put the house on the market and all this stuff and so it was really effective and um um yeah one two punch so to speak it was a yeah yeah it was it was but um and also that i do have to say one final thing is that um so my dad was as i said was at the nursing home and before i got there there was talk of him getting you know a three-day furlough for lack of a better term to come home and and be there while my brother and i were there and the, the people at the place were like no 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 we think it's better that he stays here and at first i was like oh that's a big bummer but it ended up being really for the best almost because then when we went and visited him um you know he's in a shared room so it's not really practical for four of us to stand around his bed talking for a long period of time so we reserved this conference room um and so that we got to go in there and sit there and we all sat around the five of us for three hours on friday and three hours on saturday and just talked Oh, and great. and oh, that's so good. yeah and it was just you know I, you know when you're in a in a house you know somebody's like oh you know i think i'll go get you know something to drink and i think i'll yeah. you know wander off and go do my own thing or check my email or something yeah. yeah and yeah. this was just co- three concentrated hours both days and um it you know and gosh and my dad like he just sometimes said you know i mean he he you know so parkinson's sometimes brings on a little bit of dementia or, or you know a little um you know I don't know, mental stumbling blocks, whatever. But at one point my dad was trying to remember something. My dad went to Yale and he's very proud of the fact that he went to Yale. And he's at one point he said, um, I might not have a good memory, but I'm still intelligent. And I was like, right on dad. That's so true. And, um, Oh my goodness. And then like the twins called at one point and they love FaceTime. And so of course, you know, my parents have never seen FaceTime before. And so, you know, you can't bring my kids, my rowdy twins into any situation and not have it feel like a party. And so, you know, there they are. And they're like, hi grandma, hi Bobby. And you know, where are you? Show us around and all this stuff. And so that was super fun. And, and I was like, Hey, let's take a selfie together. So, you know, I took a selfie with me and my dad and, um, that just sounds so good. And you know what? I think it, I mean, 
not that I didn't want him to be in that nursing home, but I mean, trying to get him, I don't know if he was going to go on your visits and stuff with you, but mm-hmm. I think you were probably a lot more oh, yeah. um, efficient, you know, oh, yeah. and then, and you can come back and like deliver the news that you want to, you know, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. cannot be like, right. you know, having complained about the, the slanted walls. Oh, right, right, right. So I think it's um, a little fitting perhaps that we talk about um, older people in the intro to this. Um... <laughs> I know, but not, not, yeah, yeah, yeah not, yeah, not, not quite. Not in a disrespectful yeah, way. Yeah, no, no, no. Let's, we're, we're going to take it back a couple decades. Um, and, uh, <laughs> We're, we're um, joined today by Margaret Webb, who's an author, journalist, and screenwriter, and runner who lives in Toronto. And she is the author of Older, Faster, Stronger, What Women Runners Can Teach Us All About Living Younger, Longer. And at age 50, this former overweight smoker set out to achieve the fitness of, a, of the same fitness level that she had when she was a you know, 20-year-old varsity athlete, and also to compete in the half marathon against top runners at the World Masters Games in Torino, Italy. And she calls it her super fit year. So, Margaret, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about your background as an athlete. Oh, well... It probably started a way long time ago when I was growing up on the family farm. Uh, I played ice hockey on the pond with my brothers, that sort of typical Canadian uh, tableau. That was, uh, that was me. I uh, also played a lot of softball and rode. I had two horses that I rode everywhere. Uh, but I didn't run. I, I, was, I didn't become a runner until well into my adult years. And what prompted you to become a runner? Well, you know, I, I did this... Um, I did this kind of shuffle thing that I would say through uh, local cemeteries, sort of, I, I liked to power walk to get around the city, but I, sort of, I was always afraid of hurting my knees, you know, so I'd sort of do a shuffle walk, uh, kind of old lady shuffle that I called it, uh, very slow <laughs> and uh, keeping my feet very close to the ground. Um, but then, uh, you know, then my sister, who's 13 years older than I am, uh, uh, challenged me. She didn't start going to the gym until she was 50. Right, fifty, wow. and and uh, when she was about fifty-five, she challenged me uh, to run a half marathon with her, and uh, I couldn't say no because she's thirteen years older, uh, and I didn't uh, didn't have any idea how long a half marathon was. Uh, I was a closet smoker. <laughs> I I was about forty pounds overweight. Uh, the whole notion terrified me, but like I said, I couldn't say no. So um, uh, I I I started training. That's cool. That's it. Did you guys run the race together or did you run your own race? Do you remember? Yeah, we did. We, um, we, we both live in separate cities. Uh, but, uh, we, 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 and I went away, immediately. I, I went and joined a running club because I, I knew I could not do this alone. I didn't know how to train. Uh, I knew I couldn't run the distance by myself. So, uh, even though the notion of joining a, a running club terrified me because I had no idea, um, you know, if I could even keep up to anybody. Uh, that's what I did. And then uh, we, so we trained in separate cities and then we went to uh, the nation's capital in Canada, Ottawa, and we ran together. Um, I ran with my sister. She was 55 at the time. I was 42 and my niece was uh, 29, but also seven and a half months pregnant. <laughs> and so the three of us ran together. Uh, it was a, a huge amount of fun. I loved it. And that kind of set me on the path, although, you know, over the next couple of years, I sort of fell on and off the serious side of running as I was, you know, went off to research another book. And um, so, you know, I, 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 uh, I got back seriously running again when I was uh, 48 and staring down 50. And that's where this book uh, kind of grew out of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and in the first chapter of Older, Faster, Stronger, you write that first mile is the true marathon, meaning the first training mile is the toughest. So can you kind of take us back to your first steps in your quest to run in Torino and um, give advice to women who are just starting out? Well, I, I, I can barely remember the first mile I ran is what I would call myself when I would call myself a true runner. That is, I, you know, I joined my club. Um, I was on a running schedule. I was going to run a half marathon. I can barely remember that first mile, but I, but I do remember coming back from that tra- first training session, and it was a brutally cold night in, uh, in Toronto. Um, my eyelashes were frozen, you know? <laughs> and uh, I came in, and I was so exhilarated because I thought, man, I, I'd run something like eight kilometers, and, you know, which is about six miles. I couldn't believe it, and I was just so, so excited. Um, but I say for the non-runner, the first mile is the hardest because for those of us who are sort of up to 
even running enough to contemplate doing a marathon. You know, it's uh, the marathon is tough, yes, but motivating yourself to just to start to run, I think, is far tougher. And that is, you know, I, I salute anybody who goes from nothing to running a first mile and that they should really reward themselves at the end of that and celebrate it because because now they've started on the journey and they'll run a second and a third. Uh, so that's why I call uh, that. Uh, that's why I say it's tougher than running a marathon, that first mile for for the couch potato who's just sort of starting, you know, or or the sedentary person who's just sort of starting. Well, and I love in that in that um, same part of the book, you you write a line that says, whatever limit you encounter, keep pushing against it. And I think yeah. that that's just a good like life lesson too, right? And not that you have to always just be like aggressive and, you know, always be like, oh, what can I do? What can I do? But just always just gently knowing that, you know, the limits that you put on yourself are exactly that, the ones that you, you put them on yourself, right? Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, we, we put we put kind of, you know, the psychological limits on what we can do and, and we can usually exceed them. Uh, I never, ever imagined I would run a marathon. I never even wanted to run a marathon. <laughs> but when the idea popped into my head, it was, okay, uh, why do I want to do this? I didn't even really know why. It was just, it felt like this impulse suddenly. And this was a couple of years after I'd started to run. And uh, so, you know, I did it. And I, I far exceeded my expectations during that training. I started to uh, to run faster than I could imagine with more ease than I could ever imagine. And, you know, that first marathon, uh, <laughs> had I didn't blow the actual running of it, my training would have brought me very, very close to uh, uh, qualifying for Boston on that first marathon. And I, I could not have imagined I had that in me. Mm -hmm. Not in my wildest dreams. Uh, I was the slowest runner when I joined my running club by far. It's mm -hmm. amazing. So, so, um, I'm just going to tell you right off that we have a lot of lines from your book that we, <laughs> turns out Dimity and I like we're underlining our copies madly. And so, uh, so we definitely are going to quote yourself back at you a lot. So, okay. um, so one question you wrote for too long, I thought fast was the only way to run. And if I couldn't run fast, I couldn't run at all. So, mm -hmm. so, and that really resonated with both of us. And, and we suspect this is a fairly common misconception among women. And, and what would you tell them to banish that thought? Well, Fast, I want to put some quotation marks around it because uh, I think many of us are exposed to running in, in public school or high school. And usually that means, or at least when I was growing up, that meant the track, right? Sure. 50 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters. And that was it. And if if you didn't have that kind of track speed, uh, you, you know, you had a hard time imagining that you would be a runner. We simply didn't get to uh, run long distances. Now, I had a bit of an opportunity to run um, some cross country when I was a kid, but still that was only maybe a mile or two. And certainly my parents discouraged it. They thought running was the weirdest thing. <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think that's where we grew up thinking that. Whereas when, when women get into running and we get into distance running now, typically we start training for fives and tens and even half marathons, you know. Often women will join a running club and, and I've met lots of them who just jump right into the half marathon. I've, haven't you really spent much time running fives and tens? And certainly that was my experience. And we we are distance athletes. Women are phenomenal distance athletes. We can run for miles at a slow, easy pace. That said, uh, I think also that women uh, who do start to run later on and, and they do take up the distance um, of, you know, half marathon, 10Ks or whatever, may never actually test themselves running shorter distances and that was one of the revelations of my, what I call my super fit year at age 50, when I threw myself into training uh, uh, to run the fastest marathon of my life and, 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 and get fitter after 50 than I was as a, as a varsity athlete at 20. Uh, I discovered that my best distance was actually the 5K. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I did an age grading calculation on each of my personal bests or personal records in each of my distances. And I discovered I was kind of fast. I, I ran a pretty a pretty decent 5K, and that what, astonished so what, me. What, what'd you run? Got to know. Throw out the time, Margaret. Ah, I ran um, 20. Okay, now what is it? 22 minutes and 43 seconds. Oh, my and gosh. That, is that age graded or straight that, up? That's straight up. So that was at age Oh, my 50, gosh. That was at age 50, 50, 51. So this year, you know, when you talk about pushing up against limits, I thought, okay, well, you know, in my in my super fit year, I, I pushed to run the fastest marathon in my life. So, 
you know, now that that's over, I'm going to change it up. And this year I'm, I'm striving to run the fastest 5k of my life. I'm, I'm trying to beat that time. I'm trying to get under 22 minutes and, wow. let, and it's tough. It's really it, that tough. is really hard. I mean, it is, I think it's much harder to run hard for a short distance than a little bit easier for a, a very long distance. I mean, nothing about a marathon is easy, but there's a different kind of pain when you're just pushing, pushing, pushing for 20 minutes, right? Psychologically, it's tough to keep going. It's tough to run at that high tempo speed for uh, hard training sessions. And I find it very difficult to do that on my own. I, I like to train with my club when I do that kind of speed work because you get out there with somebody who's a bit faster than you are and you try to keep up to them. Sure, sure. Well, um, and then talk about, um, I mean, so this this whole thing about going too fast, um, one of the things, this wasn't in the same section, but this is another sentiment that I was like, wow, that's a really smart thing is you let a run come to you, um, which mm. you learned in yoga. Um, so can you explain what that means and, and how you got into that mentality? Well, when I first joined my running club, I didn't know anything about running. And, and so I would start a run just going out really fast. And I would be, I'd be running with the front runners, the fastest people in my club. And I think this is extremely odd. And, <laughs> and, and then I would peter out after I would just be gassed by halfway through the run and floundering. And I didn't really understand what was going on. And, and then, you know, yeah, I, I, a few more years of this and, and taking some yoga, I realized that, wow, you actually start out slow, start out easy, find your breath, and then slowly pick up your pace. So that's what I mean by letting the run come to you. Uh, and it's kind of a good principle to do in racing as well as to run those first kilometers, maybe a tad bit slower than your target pace and warm up and let the run come to you and then try to finish the race a little bit faster than your target pace. But that's very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, so to, so to reach your goals, you, you trained smarter, you ate smarter and, and lost weight. You honed your mind. You ran with those faster athletes at your club. Uh, you basically span the gamut, but based on all the research you did, um, studies done by experts as well as your own experience, what do you see as the three most critical ingredients for honing speed? Hmm. Um, well, speed work. <laughs> <laughs> let's get that. Let's get that. Let's, let's get, get that over huh? with. Yeah, you can't. You can't. Uh, you can't get away with uh, uh, avoiding those tempo runs and even the shorter uh, speed sprint distances. You know, uh, eight hundred repeats and four hundreds, and um, you know, doing that high tempo uh, work it's critical at least once a week mm -hmm. um, if not if not twice a week uh, heel work is really great for building speed um, but I found this was really important to me uh, weight training mm -hmm. weight training so I got myself into the gym and I started uh, well initially just using my own body weight to strengthen my legs so doing lunges and squats and um, you know, work like that, that would strengthen my glutes and my thighs and my calf muscles. And then as I got stronger, I slowly started to add weight. Uh, so that I was, you know, I don't know, I'm squatting. What am I squatting now? Uh, over 150 pounds. Mm. Uh, oh. yeah. And I'm leg pressing, you know, close to like, I think 200 pounds. And I find that that weight, that weightlifting is really great for, for building speed, uh, because you're strengthening, um, uh, yeah, all the muscles in your legs, and you're going to have a faster turnover. Mm -hmm. uh, your your toes are going to be stronger. Your calves are going to be stronger, so you're going to be able to get up on your toe. I actually I actually move from more of a, a heel strike to sort of a midfoot strike, and sometimes now I'm actually getting up on my toes mm. into a, into a four foot run, and that's all come through weight weight training mm. and strength strengthening my feet. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. we have muscles in our feet; we forget that. Uh, but if we run the same way all the time, we're not strengthening those muscles. So if we get into weight training and sort of do toe presses and that sort of thing, we can we can actually, yeah, increase hmm. the strength in our feet. Hmm. Hmm. What sounds, about sounds like you use weights by like you know designed for little elves or something so that your toes <laughs> can do like little curls and things like that. <laughs> well, you know, I do I do stand on my toes and uh -huh. uh, you know, get get your toes on the edge of the stairs so that you're hmm. dropping your heel down and lifting yourself up. Right. Uh, and so I, I progress from that to on the on the leg press, you know, you, you're pressing weight up in the air uh, to just doing it with my toes. Oh wow! Mm -hmm. 
Do you take your shoes off when you do that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be hospitalized for Mercer or something like that. <laughs> wow. So, is there is there any one move or any you know anything where if someone's like, okay, I'm really time crunched. I've got you know three small kids, but I know that I need to strength train. Like, they've got 15 minutes. What would you do if you don't have time to you know work your toes? What would you work? Uh, well, squats, lunges uh, for the legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, well, burpees are not, sorry, burpees, but plyometrics are another great one. And you can work plyometrics into your run so that when you do, you know, one leg, uh, one leg kickups and strides out, uh, hops, and you can kind of do that at the end of a run. So if take the last kilometer, I, I do karaoke, I do sideways runs and all of that is to increase my foot speed. Uh, so that's not, well, it is weight training and it's also explosive training, uh, as well. So what I do now typically is uh, the two times a week I work out, I'll run to the gym, do my weight training routine, and I do a lot of core work. That's really, that's really important too. But, uh, and then on the way home, I'll do plyometrics on the kilometer home. And I really embarrass myself in front of people waiting for the bus because I'm <laughs> I know, I loved you, loved you saying that in the, in the book. You were, and I was just like, wow, she must go past like a really big populated bus stop or something. <laughs> I do, I do. It's outside this massive, massive apartment complex. And there's always a huge crowd waiting there. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, they're, they're typically new Canadians. It, it's a, it, people from all over the world and they're there with their kids and their grandmas and grandpas and, you know, the whole family's out there. And I'm sure they're thinking Canadians are weird. <laughs> hey, here comes I, that little lady again. <laughs> karaoke doing the grapevine next to us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Well, and so to talk a little bit about your eating habits. I mean, you definitely overhauled your diet, um, pretty yeah. extensively, right? Yeah. Now that, I mean, and of course that's critical for speed as well. Um, you know, it, it, I, you know, get, getting faster was for me a case of getting leaner and I don't watch the scales, you know, forget the scale. Uh, just try to get really lean through weight training and eating properly. Uh, so whenever I was weight training, I was thinking I'm getting, I'm converting fat into muscle <laughs> and eating properly. What I did was I, I went on what I call a sort of a cave mam mm-hmm. <laughs> diet, <laughs> uh, kind of made up my own name for it because the nutritionist I work for it kind of refuses to give a name to the system of eating she has. But essentially it's a, it's, it's a paleo style, uh, and I didn't want to call it low carb. I want to call it a good carb diet. So that means getting your carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables rather than from breads and grains because breads and grains are, are, are largely nutritionally empty. There's, there's really not a lot of good stuff in there and yet they're very high in sugar. So when you eat a slice of bread, it can be similar to drinking a can of Coke and people don't really realize that. And it would, it, what that does is it elevates your blood sugar and then insulin rushes in to pack that blood sugar away into fat and then your blood sugar plummets and you want another sandwich. And I was, when I went through menopause, I was suddenly exhausted. Uh, right after I ate what everybody would consider is a fantastic marathon lunch, which was, you know, a chicken on a whole grain wrap with some tomato and lettuce. And I'd be on the couch practically snoozing. I, it just hit me at 50. I, I, I didn't need, I didn't need that kind of carb load in my body. I didn't need that amount of sugar. So when I switched to basically eating tons of vegetables and meat and good fat like avocado and olive oil, uh, my blood sugar stayed very, very even and I lost weight. Uh, I got super lean and that was, that was really exciting. And of course, I noticed immediately I was getting faster because, hey, running becomes easier when you're, when you're leaner, when you're not carrying unnecessary pounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's switch to then um, the the mental part of, of running and and in the book uh, you spent a lot of time figuring out talking about how you figured out how to banish the you call it the she bitch in your head <laughs> I like that uh, that undermine you in training runs and races so what advice can you share with all of us who have that same wench banging around inside of our heads you know it's not helpful at the end of the race when you're feeling really tired to suddenly entertain negative thoughts along the lines of what the heck am I doing out here? You're a loser. Why can't you run harder? Why didn't you train harder? Man, this is hard. Why don't you just stop? All of those negative thoughts that rush into our mind will only make the race harder. And I, you know, I have a tendency, I've battled this my whole life. I've, 
one of the reasons why I wanted to train for the marathon and, and enter the super fit year is I was really facing down a midlife crisis. I was, I was, I was struggling with depression. And I think a lot of women do throughout their lives, and especially when you're going through this massive kind of change in your life. Uh, so I uh, connected with a sports psychologist who had taken up very serious training in her 50s, became a world champion triathlete. And uh, she, and then after she did that, <laughs> she went back to school at age, I don't know, 55 or 56, got her PhD in sports psychology. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, she's, you know, how inspiring. So I yeah. started, I started meeting with her and basically addressing ways that I could uh, tamper down this she bitch <laughs> and start to think more positively. And that's, that's essentially what I wanted to learn from training for a marathon. I wanted to figure out how to shift my thinking so I could think more positively and then, and then take that and apply that to the rest of, to the rest of my life and learn to become my own champion, so to speak. Um, and there's, you know, a number of ways that I talk about in my book that, uh, that you can do that. Um, but one of them, I mean, a main thing is, is that you, you have to practice positive self-talk. You have to practice positive self-imagery. So when I head into a race, I break it down into, you know, parts, you know, in marathon, I'll usually break down into four parts. Uh, but depending on the geography of a race, I might break it down into different ways. So if there's an uphill section, downhill section, fast finish, whatever. And then I develop imagery for each section, uh, something that's going to remind me what I need to do in that section uh, to, to, to run well, to run on my pace, to feel good. And then I'll prepare, you know, positive self-talk for myself. And what happens is you just, you get your, your whole mind frame into more of a positive, positive framework, positive self-talk, uh, thinking about strategy throughout the race, and and that gives you incredible gifts. I'd find that uh, more positive thoughts would explode in my head than than I was even ready for or expected. And it makes the race feel much more fun, much easier. Uh, you feel like you're running easier. Uh, you've got a positive positive voice in your head as opposed to this negative voice. And um, uh, that was a major major learning um, uh, thing for me. <laughs> Well, and you had like, I mean, some of your, I mean, you went from like dolphins to like fox. bleachers full of cheering women to an eagle yeah. to like Sarah said, a fox. I mean, so you really like, and did those, you, did you work on those before the race or did they just come to you during the race or? Hallucinogenic. <laughs> <laughs> so you took some LSD before the race. Okay, right. I'm clear yeah, now. Yeah. Now yeah. we're talking about speed honers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would, I would prepare, I would prepare before the race. But, but, but bigger things would explode. So, you know, so I love animal imagery. So when I start a race, I'll often be thinking about a fox running beside me because a fox is, moves very stealthily and very gently. And there's no, there's no excess energy in the way a fox runs. But, you know, but they move along pretty quickly. And that's how you want to start a marathon or a long race. You want to be using zero energy and, and just be running along nice and easy. And then as the race gets harder and more difficult, I bring out more powerful symbols. So a dolphin is always a touchstone in my life um, for various personal reasons. Uh, so at the end of a race, I'll often imagine a, you know, a dolphin breathing like a dolphin and trying to smile and be happy like a dolphin. But you know, it, the, the imagery is powerful because suddenly, yeah, the, suddenly it feels like the dolphin is swimming right beside me. You get tired. Well, <laughs> and they're doing, and you're concentrating on them and not you doing the work. You're just trying to be like them, right? So yeah. it's not like, oh, my legs are tired. It's like, oh, yeah. I just want to breathe like a dolphin. That's all I got to yeah. do right now. You know, that's awesome. It's Exactly. And when I started conjuring up uh, heroes, because a big part of my book, I went running with all of these heroes uh, of the women's running boom, you know, Pam Reed and, and Catherine Switzer and, you know, BJ McHugh, all these, these incredible people who've become mentors in my life. And so I'd have little mantras in my mind that things that they'd say to me to remind me to be strong or positive or fearless uh, at certain parts of the race. And so I'd, I'd, I'd kind of borrow their mantras. And then, and then suddenly they would be running beside me, you know, I'd have Catherine Switzer cheering me on, you know, how much more powerful can that get in a race? So imagery is powerful. And I, and I think many runners, we don't really work on this mental part of our running. We work, we focus almost entirely on the physical side of it, but the mental side of it, I think is going to be the difference between uh, really, really elevating your running. Um, and, and it pay, pays dividends into other areas. You know, now when I, when I, 
face my writing, my career, when I when I go through difficult times, I'll I'll haul up that positive imagery and and those that positive self talk in a way that you know champions myself. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so uh, so another mother runner is all about community. Um, so we were delighted when you talked about the importance of the community in the yeah. motivate me please chapter. Um, you here's another line that we, we're going to give <laughs> back to you and to our um, listeners. Um, we compete, we being women. We mm-hmm. compete as a community rather than individually, which mm-hmm. I think that is, I mean, that is the essence of women, women running. I love that. We compete as a community rather than individually. If somebody else is doing well and I'm snapping at her heels, then I have to admit that I'm doing okay too. And my confidence builds. Yeah. Um, so talk about that. Um, and then just talk about your running friends. I mean, your fast friend, Mary and the Boston <laughs> Beaners that you have. I mean, you've got such a great um set of friends and, and women that share such similar goals it was really fun to read about so can, can you talk about that a little bit oh yeah I well I said in my book also that uh, I couldn't have done this journey without them because I wouldn't have wanted to they are you know when when you start running with people side by side they're you know yeah you may not know them you may the thing about running is it brings together people uh that you would never have met otherwise I mean I, I wouldn't have worked, I wouldn't have met a French professor in Danielle or a, or a lab manager in Mary or, you know, Phyllis works with, you know, I'm a, I'm a freelance writer. I work at home. How would I have met these people? And, and then suddenly we're, you know, through the miles and sharing our stories and, and training and encouraging each other. Suddenly, suddenly it feels like we're best friends that uh, we're exchanging a million emails a day, consulting on, you know, how's your ouch, you know, <laughs> I know you're kind of bummed at the end of that run, but you know, seriously, you finished it. You should feel good. You know, just cheering each other on by email. And we don't see each other a lot outside of running. And yet we feel so bonded and so connected. And and that's been an amazing gift of running. And I do think that when I see, you know, actually I feel like we have we have uh rubbed off on a lot of guys in our club hmm. because I think they have looked at us and they see us getting together for speed training and we form this group we're like ethiopians and kenyans Mm -hmm. and we get out there in the track and we're pushing each other through our speed work we do hill work we're like this knot we're pushing each other up the hill and we're challenging each other and we're we're teasing each other if somebody falls behind and goading each other on and you know giving it you know giving it to each other and laughing and and i think the guys kind of saw that and went hmm they might be onto something (laughs) so now now i see guys in our club who are kind of kind of getting in little knots of groups together and, and, and kind of doing the same thing and, and forming tighter, closer friendships than they may have otherwise. Because before I, I just saw a lot of guys, yeah, they're a part of our club, but they're sort of running as loners. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think that's an amazing thing that women have brought, brought to running. We, we have a humility about running. We say, oh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to get stronger, faster. Uh, so let me get a coach. Let me join a clinic. Um, and then suddenly... Suddenly, it's our new social world, and and we're socializing over a run in the same way we might have socialized over a martini. Mm-hmm. Exactly, that's our happy hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and and um, it's in, like one of the one of my favorite scenes in your book was talking about um, I think it was that thirty k race where you and Mary were basically yeah. neck and neck oh, and yeah, pushing each awesome. other. I mean, that was just like yeah. I was like, oh my god, who's gonna win? Who's gonna right, win? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean that that I love that you guys, you know, have that relationship where you can maintain a very high level of competition, and you're you're out there for yourselves. But at the yeah. end of the day, you know, you're you still at the end of the day, you're going to hug and drive home together and laugh about it all, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's been such a gift meeting Mary. I mean, I think I, I said in the book as well that um, when I when I tried to qualify for the Boston Marathon on my first marathon, and I I failed abysmally at it because. I, I just ran a very, I made all the rookie mistakes one one makes when they run a first marathon. Um, but then Mary joined her club and I heard that she had qualified in her first marathon. I took a look at her and I thought, she's the same height as me, you know, same running experience. Of course, because as soon as I, I heard she'd qualified, I glummed onto her in that first run. <laughs> you know, be you know. my friend, be my yeah. friend. <laughs> I found out her running experience and I thought, well, we've been running about the same amount of time, you know? And and uh, so I just I just rationalized that, God, if, if she can do it, then I can. And what I need to do is keep up to her in training. And if I keep up to her, then then I can, I can qualify. And so that's what I did. I stuck to her like glue. Nice. And 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 in doing that, we we just we just became good friends, you know. And 
I kind of pulled her into the fold of other friends I made in the club. And I kind of describe myself as the little sister in her group. I'm, I'm the youngest. I'm younger than Mary by three months or something. I tease her <laughs> relentless about it. Um, and, I, and I've always played team sports. So it was always important to me to be kind of a team. And I like being part of a team more than sort of doing something solo. Uh, I do I do enjoy going for runs by myself and go often. It's a great thinking time. But I like being part of a something larger than myself and and that's what these women have, have brought to me. And and uh and yeah, we you know, we have discovered a competitive instinct within ourselves. Um, but we've also learned uh I guess to support each other. It it doesn't bug us that somebody is suddenly doing better, mm-hmm. you know. We we just say, well. If you want to do as better you, as well, you, you know what to do. You, you have to work harder. You have to train harder. And and then we also recognize uh, when, you know, you know, somebody's, you know, taking a bit of a step back from running, maybe focusing a bit more on career and, and maybe can't do the training required. You know, we're just we're just supportive and understanding and empathetic and but also push each other. If, if, if we're out there and we're trying to run fast, put in a hard tempo workout, we're there for each other. And that's very, very cool. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, so changing tact a little bit, we um, got an intriguing question from Susan, who's a mother runner from California, who read your book. And uh, her question is, how do you get the runners high to stay? I get back home after a great run and get smacked by reality. And it almost seems worse because I was feeling so great. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and then, and then can you tell us about how to find world peace Margaret because that's, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly, yeah, right, that might right, be an right, easier right. question yeah and then I'm going to solve the Ebola crisis right. yeah, right. yeah. Uh, uh-huh. um, yeah I don't know I'm not sure what your personal circumstances are and, and what reality smacks you when you get home um, it uh, we are out there and having a great time and I you know I guess I'm kind of fortunate as my I have a very supportive partner when I get home from my hard runs the Thursday night runs and the long runs on Sundays is I have a partner who makes me dinner and brunch (laughs) (laughs) and I kind of, and I kind of focus on those, those two hard runs a day as being, you know, afterwards I get to, that's a little bit of me time after the run too, to, uh, to sort of relax and enjoy, Um, you know, but other runs during my week, I guess, you know, my Tuesday morning run, I'm back and immediately throwing myself into work. But having said that, I, I can say that I write better. I, I work better. My concentration's better always if I go for a run first or if I take, take a break midday and, and go work out and have a run, um, I find myself thinking sharper. So I'm not sure what, what, what fresh hell you would have if you didn't run. I'm sure it would be maybe a bit, maybe a bit worse. Uh, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's all about perspective, right? Like, yeah, you, you, at least you had that time where you feel so great and it is, it does ricochet, even though it feel like, feels like it may not when you, when you get smacked by, you know, a messy house and whatever else you have in your life. But, but the reality is, is that runs ricochet through all the rest of your life in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I would say I found it interesting with some of the research that I was reading for my book is that um, runners uh, tend to have more egalitarian households. Mm-hmm. That, that, w- that women, mothers who run, uh, tend to get more support from their husbands in terms of household chores and childcare. And if the dad also runs, uh, there's even more of a sharing of, of responsibilities um, so maybe if your partner, if that's the issue, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe get them running or get her running <laughs> and, uh, and it'll be my, uh, more sharing of household responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I put it, I put an asterisk next to when you wrote about that, about the more egalitarian. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah I'm going sure. to, <laughs> when I get home, I'm going to take a look at that and see if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, so spoiler alert here, but um, we couldn't believe that your GPS battery died the at the start of the World Masters Half Marathon. So, you know, talk about running that race by feel instead of being able to check your pace. Well, you know, I, I um, there's a famous Canadian author here in uh, Canada called Mordecai Richler, and he once talked about scotch being his favorite uh, drink. And then at, when his novel came out, um, the scotch company uh, sent him a bunch of scotch. And so I was kind of hoping the GPS folks would send me a new GPS. <laughs> and a Garmin, but it hasn't happened. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah, no, that was devastating because I, I, I'm a rock solid pacer. I have, and most, a lot of older women, women and older women especially, uh, do become rock solid pacers. It's just one of the things that, one of the talents we have as runners that we can, I once started a marathon running the same pace as I finished the marathon at. Wow. Average right throughout. 
And that's the optimal way to run a race. Um, but of course, I rely on my my Garmin, my GPS, uh, a lot to achieve that pace. And so when I lined up at the start line and I realized that because of um, sitting in my suitcase during the trip to Italy, it had gone dead. The battery had died mm. and I went to turn it on and it was dead. And I freaked. I freaked out so bad. One of my friends, Mary, my best running buddy, even offered to let me wear her watch. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. That's nice. <laughs> and I said, come on, Mary, this is, this is, you know, this race is important to you too, right? And then, and then they kind of kicked in and reminded me that, you know, you are a rock solid pacer. You have that within you. You don't have to rely on your watch for it. Um, so, you know, that I just kept, kept telling myself throughout the race. Um, uh, that said, I think I might have run a tiny bit faster. I, I, I think I did go out too fast in the first loop. Um, you know, excitement and everything else. And if I'd moderated that speed in the first loop and had a more even pacing, but who knows? I had a fantastic race. You know, this is the other thing I learned during uh, this year is it doesn't matter how bad your run was or how bad your race was. You did it and you should celebrate it because it's so much better than not having done it at all. Mm -hmm. um, well, and when you talk about you get know, like the last chapter of the book, um, you quote a woman um, and I can't remember her name, but she talked about how being disciplined makes her happy. Yeah, um, that's my that's my buddy Phyllis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I mean that. I think a lot of people like, again, they, they think that's an oxymoron, but I real, I, for me, speaking for myself, I know that as I age, I love that too. I mean, I love just because when you're disciplined, you taste the accomplishment, you get things done, you, you know, you just keep moving the ball down the court. Right. And that there's something really fulfilling about that. Um, so it was really nice to see that in print. I mean, are you that kind of person too, or, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> This is the beauty of running with a group of women uh, and making yourself a team. When I said, hey, guys, I want to run the fastest marathon of my life. And they said, I'm in. I said, I want to go to Italy and test myself against the fastest 50-year-old women in the world, some of the fittest 50-year-old. And they said, I'm in. You know, they're, they're going to travel to the World Masters Games with me. And, and so we all kind of went on this shared journey. Uh, but we all, we all kind of contributed uh, different talents and aptitudes, I guess, to this. You know, Mary is incredible. She's got an incredible research brain, science brain. And so she contributed lots of research. And, you know, Phyllis, uh, uh, she knows she's an activist, a feminist activist in sports. And she knows everybody there is to know. And so she would hook us up with people to, um, you know, motivate and inspire us. She, she introduced me to the sports psychologist. Um, Danielle is a, is a ruthless planner. So she every, every travel detail down to where we were staying and how we were getting there, she would organize and I felt like I was doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were the motivator. You were the inspiration, right? The spark. Yeah, I, was, I was the one who said, hey, guys, want to do this? <laughs> and they, and Make they it happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I, 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 I mean, uh, of course, I didn't coast. I worked hard. But I, as the motivator, as the, as the kind of the raw, raw team leader, um, I don't know, team leader by default, I don't know. <laughs> I, I felt like I got away with a lot. <laughs> But yeah, so we all, we all, we, and we all, we, you know, I don't know, we all kind of spin off in different directions and realize different strengths through all of this as well. And that's been really fascinating. And that was one of the things Phyllis learned is that, that she like she likes to be, uh, you know, detail oriented. And, you know, I think, I think Mary and, and Danielle realized an incredible amount of confidence in the accomplishments we got uh, through this running thing. And, you know, and I learned to, you know, be this more positive person with myself I was always positive with other people, but rarely would I give that to myself. And, you know, I've learned to give that to myself more and my life's much happier as a result. That's nice. great. Well, and it's also the the training plan. I mean, it's just the discipline of a training plan. I mean, we hear from so many women who are like, oh, I'm great. I'm great until I cross the half marathon finish line. And then I feel aimless and lost because I don't have a training plan. You know, I don't have a goal. I don't have somebody telling me what to do or a piece of paper or whatever. And so, That's I mean, <laughs> people kind of shy against it. Like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to commit to it. But then you do and you're like, oh, I, I love this structure that it's giving my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's why you sign up for the next race before you finish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a good idea. You try to finish the line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so then, when is your five k that you're going to be gunning for? Well, uh, in uh, I'm almost. I'm. You know, this 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 goal is so intimidating to me uh, that I'm almost afraid to talk about it. Uh, but you know what? Like I say, uh, just trying for it uh, is uh, making me adhere to the fitness plan and upping my fitness plan. So uh, I have competed in a series of Canadian uh, indoor uh, meets, running 3,000s. 
And in two weeks, I'm running uh, the Hamilton around the bay, although I'm not going around the bay because I'm only doing 5K. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very small bay. <laughs> it's, it's a tiny bay, and my, 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 my dolphin might be a minnow. Um, uh, so while, while, uh, while my friends run this very historic 30-kilometer uh, run around the Bay of Hamilton, I'll be doing the 5K. And then a couple of weeks after that, I'm traveling to Boston. And while my pals run the Boston Marathon, I'm going to do the Boston 5K. Mm. And and that's my target race. That's the one I want to nail. Um, and um, it's scaring me every bit as much as a marathon does. You know, it's got, it's, I'm excited and scared at the same time. I mean, no, I've got a lot of work to do between now and then. <laughs> yeah. Wow. We wish you well. I, yes. I'm sure Thank you. it'll It'd be a great experience, no matter what. Yeah, it'll be fun, and the most fun will be that I I finish my first K, my five k on Saturday morning, and then I can party for the rest of the weekend right. while my <laughs> well, the, <laughs> while, my, yeah. while my marathon friends have to behave to run until uh, you know Monday, Monday morning. morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Margaret. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for your great questions. Okay, so I have to quote her one more time. Um, this didn't really slide neatly into a question, but um, it's in the very beginning. And I was like, I, I just think that she captured our gender and the running sport so beautifully. Um, so I'll just read it. It's, it's pretty quick. Um, women have injected the loneliest of sports with a joyful and playful exuberance. And no person shall be left behind camaraderie and also a healthy dose of self-doubt that has served the sport well. We've made running fun. I was just like, amen, sister, rock the heck on. I love that, we, you know, it's the loneliest of sports, but we brought this whole level of community and camaraderie. And I don't know, I just yeah. made me very happy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, for some more camaraderie, head on over to our Facebook page. We'd appreciate if you'd like it. We are run like a mother, the book, our websites are anothermotherrunner.com and motherrunnerstore.com on Twitter and Instagram. We are at the mother runner and we'd love you if you would follow us. Our books are run like a mother, train like a mother and the new tales from another mother runner all available online or at your independent bookstore and um, whatever race you have on your horizon. Many happy miles to you. May we all be older, faster, and stronger. Mm-hmm.